Hello, friends, and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. There's a new slate of uh, films and TV shows that uh, James Gunn is promising a 10-year plan that he's going to accomplish in his four-year project. And I have comics extraordinaire wizard Jess Plummer back to talk to us about the slate, how we're feeling about it, what we're excited for, what we might have some raised eyebrows about, and uh, what we can expect some good questions to come out of. So all that and more after a commercial break that we have no control over. Welcome back. I'm your host, Matthew. I use they, them pronouns, and I'm going to introduce my guest, Jessica. Uh, Jessica Plummer has been a frequent guest on this podcast, especially talking about um, comics and comic history and the way different stories uh, from comics relate to their on-screen appearances, uh, particularly with a specialized focus in DC, although all things Marvel have also been discussed. Uh, So Jess, say hello. Introduce yourself. Hi, Matthew. Thanks for having me again. Um, It's very funny that you say that because I am, in fact, wearing a Star Labs hoodie. But there's a Daredevil shirt underneath, so I like it. I, I like, like it. to cover all my bases. There you go. There you go. The fans of independent comics are really wanting you to get some bracelets on or something, but right. like, you've got the two major ones. I need to get like Archie socks or something. <clears throat> yeah, there you go. There you go. Well, I went through this slate and had a lot of things I was super excited about and a lot of things that I went, okay, that's interesting. And a lot I went, what in the world is that? And you were the person I knew I wanted to have on. And so... I'm going to kind of go through them all and like get your thoughts on each of them, but let me just start overall. What's been kind of your feeling as a, a DC fan who I think I can safely say is not the president or even vice president of the Zack Snyder fan club? Uh, <laughs> what's been kind of your take on what DC on screen has been doing these days or on what's been happening on screen with DC comics these days and, and what you're kind of feeling about uh, this new stuff going forward? Oh, <clears throat> Matthew, I thought we were going to try to not have three hour episodes. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, I mean, not not great. I mean, I think that the sort of historical wisdom, at least for like 20 years now, more than that, almost 30, has been that DC is very good at TV animation and Marvel is very good at movies. And those, they can't do the thing that the other one is doing. And I feel like that has mostly held true um mm-hmm. i mean i did i i like the flash when it started <laughs> like so, the, some of the tv stuff the cw stuff has been yeah a lot of fun the movies have been largely <laughs> disappointing i loved the first wonder woman mm-hmm. second one was no good <laughs> um i loved birds of prey um <laughs> there was a lot that was enjoyable about the second suicide squad movie i mean we i was on for we had an episode about that um but and i was on for the black adam episode which i loved even though it wasn't really that good but i had a great time and and then there are other movies that we don't need to talk about yeah i think that's kind of my thought and it's it's funny because i exist primarily in a fan space on the stranded panda uh, podcast network, which has great podcasts, I strongly recommend. And the granddaddy flagship of that is the MCU cast. And so I'm in a space primarily with Marvel fans, and I love a lot of things about the MCU. But I've gotten into all of this. Like I mean, Batman has always been my favorite hero, like long before any of the MCU stuff came along. And I felt so up and down about all the different DC stuff on screen. And more recently, yeah, there's been more stuff that I've liked: Birds of Prey, um, Suic- the Suicide Squad. I thought Shazam was a lot of fun. 
Um, I thought laughing at Black Adam was a lot of fun. <laughs> um, and, and probably even more than you, I enjoyed a lot of the DC stuff on screen. Um, I just never had a sense of the cohesion, you know, and, and no, no idea where it all fit and how it all fit together. And it, it, at least for me, my opinion, the stuff that was trying the most to fit together was the Arrowverse, which was really good, or was the, DC, the, was the Zack Snyder stuff, which kind of left me pretty meh. And... Honestly, my my the thing that I was probably most excited about in the last couple of years was Pattinson, uh, the Robert Pattinson, the Batman, um, which I was then sad to learn is not going to be in any way part of these new plans. But I think I heard all this and was kind of like, okay, well, I'm I love what James Gunn is going to do. I love James Gunn. I'm excited for his passion and excited that there's going to be at least one strong kind of one singular mind at the head of everything in theory, kind of keeping everything on pace. Um, do you think that's a good thing for DC? Do you think it's better if it stays a little bit more, everyone doing your own thing, or we don't try to connect at all? What's kind of your take on that? I mean, I really, like, before anything else, I feel like it's almost a little silly to say, like, is James Gunn going to be good for the DCEU or bad for the DCEU? Is this plan going to be good for the DCEU? Is it going to be bad for the... Because <laughs> this is the third... 10-year plan we've gotten from them in yep. less than 10 like they keep they can't stick to it so many of these characters who've had projects announced like they're like oh we're gonna have a supergirl movie well you said that you canceled one last year literally last year mm -hmm. oh we're gonna have a green lantern project you canceled one literally last year so we're gonna have a booster gold movie okay you announced that in 2011 uh they, they at so least like, filmed a batgirl movie they did film the Batgirl movie. And hey, you know, they've also been promising a Blue Beetle movie for as long as they longer than they've been or a Blue Beetle project for longer than they've been promising Booster Gold. And that's finally happening. So like maybe James Gunn does seem like someone who actually gets things done. Maybe it will happen. But there's a large part of me that's like, we're going to get two of these things. Like I just I. I find it really hard to believe that DC and Warner Brothers can carry through on what it is they're doing because I feel like Warner Brothers has never understood the DC properties mm. and they don't understand they don't understand superheroes they don't understand um, comics they don't understand interconnected universes and so the people at Marvel and at Marvel Studios knew how to translate what a shared universe looks like to film and nobody working on a DC project could make that happen at Warner Brothers because the people above them simply didn't understand it. And the closest that they had to someone in charge of everything was Jeff Johns, who was only interested in adapting his own work. Like, right. It's literally all of it. Like Shazam is a Jeff Johns comic. The Justice League stuff is from Jeff Johns comics. It's all a right. Jeff Johns joint, which is problematic. And oh yeah, you want to ask why we don't have a cyborg movie? Um, <laughs> and yeah, and that's good to know because I think you know Zack Snyder is obviously a kind of controversial figure, but a lot of people do love his version of a. And I think he did with a slate of movies that he either created himself or was kind of very involved in put together some degree of cohesion. And I think if I understand part of what you're saying is that whether or not you like the vision he had, which is I think very debatable, even he only had so much power. Like he was not what he was never like the kind of power that Feige is over at Marvel. 
Oh, no. I mean, just look at Justice League, like all the nonsense with like, obviously, like Zack Snyder had to leave that project because of a terrible tragedy in his family. Right. Um, And that's like, no one could have predicted that. And that's not the fault of him or his family or anyone at Warner Brothers. Um, And the solution was to bring in Joss Whedon because he had been successful with Avengers, the closest analog to the Mm -hmm. Justice League. Um, And they were like, oh, he'll just do Avengers for us. But they never considered that those two directors have diametrically opposed styles. They couldn't mesh anything that they did together. Um, And then, I mean, everybody jokes about like the Henry Cavill upper lip thing where they CGI'd the mustache off. But like, it's really, I think, indicative of Warner Brothers approach to this where they they rush things in like. They could have just waited for him to finish filming Mission Impossible and then shave, yeah. but they didn't for incomprehensible reasons. And you end up with a movie that's a laughing stock. And then they spent billions more money to make it again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just baffling choices. And like I, I, I fundamentally do not understand why many people love the 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 actual the remake of the Zack Snyder Justice League it's just not my kind of movie i i respect yeah. those who really love it and that's great for them and and of which there are many but even i would say well i mean are there many cuz it turned out a lot of the people behind the um restore the snyder cut campaign were bots and I also like, yes, I'm sure that there are plenty of people who ha- watch the movies and enjoyed mm-hmm. them, but I also feel like it's become a very political thing. And so if you have a particular political stance, you are mm, that's fair in support of Zack Snyder. And like, it, it, there's this idea that he's great and his movies can do no wrong and that'll stick it to the woke people so- somehow. It doesn't like it just it doesn't. I do. I do kind of wonder. Do you actually like these movies, or do yeah, you just want to win, quote unquote, win? I, my own circles of friends may have a disproportionately high number of those few folks who who like them, but um, okay. But either way, my, the point that I was going to make though is that I do think that whether you like it or hate it, the Zack Snyder version of Justice League feels like a much more coherent, cohesive piece of yeah. cinema, in a way that like the Zack Snyder, Joss Whedon, you know fused together absolutely does not um <laughs> yes and we're, we're getting into tangents here as i knew we would because we do want to talk about the newer stuff but i i, I think this is all really interesting and i i guess i would turn to you with the because i think one of the things that we keep talking about is like does warner brothers understand how to put dc on screen and that that a part of this conversation is always like because dc is not marvel marvel has one very mm-hmm. specific approach to its world in terms of very relatable characters who go through relatable issues, even though they have superpowers, they do their things in Chicago and New York and London, not in Gotham or or Metropolis or Star City or whatever. It, I, I think people know what the Marvel idea is. And I think people have seen that when DC tried to just copy that, it didn't really work. So if you could sum up a hundred years of a thousand different people's creations in two or three sentences, um, what would you like? What, if if you if you were to say what the mission statement of a of a a DC world on screen could be, what would that be? Like what 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 do you think is the thing that Warner Brothers is not understanding about the DC world and its characters in what they've been putting on screen? 
I mean, again, you can make a book of this. So give me two or three sentences. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I mean, there's there's so much. Um, but I read a really interesting blog post whew, twenty years ago when I was getting into comics that basically compared the the Marvel universe, the DC universe, and it basically it made the argument that DC characters are very aspirational mm. and godlike. In a lot of ways, even even Batman, like, you know, people are like, he's a normal guy. It's like, no, he's a billionaire who is invulnerable to concussions, apparently. Yeah. Um, and the Marvel Universe is like Peter Parker's who are barely making rent and really struggling and are, you know, picked on and hated and feared and whatever. Um, and the conclusion that this blogger came to was the, the DC heroes are about inspiration Mm. And Marvel heroes are about consolation. Like DC heroes will inspire you to be better. And Marvel heroes will let you know you're not alone. Mm. Um, and I, I think that's, that's oversimplifying for sure. But I think it's, it's an interesting idea. And it's one that I would want to sort of see discussed in a yeah. room full of people who are deciding these movies. So I think to make you, you can't make a DC movie universe work unless you understand Superman. Right. And to understand Superman, I think you have to step into a sort of heightened reality. You have to step into metaphor much more than you do with the Marvel universe. Like, I do think that Clark Kent can be a relatable character, but you have to create a world that it feels plausible that he would exist in. And that is not the sort of gritty Snyderverse world. It's, right. I mean, before we started recording, I told you I'd been watching um, Superman, the animated series. And that has this really, the way the architecture is designed, obviously it's easier with a cartoon, but the way the architecture is, the way the streets are laid out, the way that like the ridiculous daily planet office with like no desk or computer has ever looked like that, mm -hmm. but it makes Superman fit into the world because everything is so sunny and bright and colorful. Yeah. And I would love to see a movie that really fully embraces that aesthetic. And I think that's a world that Superman could exist in. You know what? Sky high, sky high is the kind of movie that builds a universe that this kind of character is believable in. Have mm. you seen it? I have no idea what you're talking about. <gasps> Matthew, it is. It's a uh, kids movie that came out like 15 years ago. I think it's a Disney movie. And it's about these kids going to superhero high school. Um, but it is so comic booky in its language and it's, visual in its visual language mm. that everything that happens is like it's a cartoon but it's a really believable cartoon and a really fun one okay I, because they build that world I, I i well first of all that sounds awesome i'm definitely something i'll check out and if other people check that out as well let me know and maybe we can uh have yet another reason to get jess back on uh if you recommend something you have to come on and talk about it that's the rule um Deal. but the other part of that is that Part of what I'm thinking as I hear you talk about this is that that idea of inspirational characters, like I'll admit it sounds a little corny to me. It sounds a little cheesy to me. 
And part of that's because most of the media that I've seen for the last 20 years, especially around superhero stuff, has been much more grimdark. Like grimdark, gritty has been the overwhelming theme of the day. And I love that. And I like back when, you know, Tim Burton first did Batman, that felt so refreshing after so much feeling so like pie in the sky goodness. And I've just ridden that, gar- you know, goth world all the way through. But I, I get the idea that it may have been that like 10, 15 years ago, when all people seemed to want, or at least Hollywood thought all people wanted, was grim dark. Like you said, Zack Snyder trying to fit DC into that, you know, doesn't really work. There does seem to be a lot of cultural pushback more recently against that kind of thing. And certainly, if you're looking for a if you're looking for grim dark in a Marvel movie, Guardians of the Galaxy is one of the ones that's going to be the hardest to find. Like that is a fundamentally hopeful, happy. It, it's a lot darker, I think, than the inspiration. No one in that movie is an inspiration, to be clear. Um, but like it, it, what you're saying, like, again, zeitgeist and stuff, who the hell knows what's going to happen. But it does feel to me like if we're ever going to get a DC world based primarily on that inspiration, this is a much better time for it than it was 10 years ago or whenever it was Zack Snyder got started. I mean, I would certainly hope so. And I also think, I mean, you do have, like, Gotham still exists in the DC universe. And I am not arguing that we, like, at, no shade to Adam West. I love the Adam West show. It's super fun. I'm not arguing we need a movie of that. And yeah. if we did need a movie of that, we have the Lego movies. Like, it's fine. <laughs> um, but that's what I'm talking about with, like, that really, really heightened reality. Like, how do you construct a world in which it makes sense that Metropolis is this utopia and Gotham is this dystopia? And they're, like, 40 minutes drive away from each other yeah. and it's two guys hang out <laughs> like i mean 30 years ago manhattan and brooklyn were pretty different but yeah i understand well, what you're talking the about the famous quote that has been i believe it was danny o'neill who's a comics writer who originally said it but it's been misquoted and paraphrased very much is metropolis is new york city above 14th street on a sunny april day and gotham is new york city below 14th street on a rainy november night yeah that makes total, total sense. So it it's doable. It's t- Yeah. <laughs> it just, you have to, I think you have to get away from the idea of some kind of quote unquote realism. Mm-hmm. And especially from the idea that realism is necessary for relatability. Yeah. Because it's a metaphor. But then I come from musical theater. So, of course, I'm like, it doesn't have to be believable. It just has to feel real. And it's interesting because I've always thought that I think one of the most interesting and in some ways creative parts of the DC media world in the last 20 years was the TV show Gotham. And Mm. I will hold that I don't think Gotham is a good show necessarily by most ways we define it. I think if you watch Gotham once a week, you're going to hate it because it is the closest thing outside of uh, Into the Spider-Verse that I've seen to a comic book mentality on screen. Everything in that show just doesn't feel quite right. And if you watch it once a week, you're never going to get into it. But if you do stupid things like I did and, you know, binge eight hours of it on a weekend, um, after two or three episodes, you just live in that world now. And now all the metaphor works, everything makes sense, and then you go back and watch a regular TV show, and it's just like, you know, it's like being jet-lagged, you know? It's a completely different thing. And I – so that gives me hope. 
And the other thing that I think you're helping to point out is, and this may also be why, you know, real Batman lovers like myself didn't really love Affleck and all that. Um, not Affleck the Duck at Ben. You know what I mean? Um, Affleck. Um, is that I think part of what makes that version of Batman so good is how much he is the lone standalone contrast to all of that inspiration. Like, he is inspiring in his own way, but, like, you know, you talked about Star uh, Superman the Animated Series. I've seen some episodes of that, and I know – my understanding is, like, that's kind of the Superman standalone series. Batman the Animated Series was its own standalone, and then both of those continuities are fairly linked to the Justice League uh, animated show that had the voice actors from both of those shows in them. And to me, I, that, you know, Kevin Conroy is one of my absolute favorite Batmans, and I always thought part of what made the Batman character work so well is how set apart he is from the rest of the Justice League, and that he's this wonderful contrast to them. And that's why him and Waller sometimes connect in ways that the others don't. Um, so, yeah, I can see that once everyone is though down to that level, yeah, it, make, it, it kind of takes away from the power of the contrast of Batman and, and the way Batman can contrast everybody else and then also takes the light off of them. Oh, yeah. And like the, the, one of the, the tricks that the comics love to pull is like, here's the whole team. It's usually the Justice League. Sometimes it's the Teen Titans and they'll do it with Robin. But all of these godlike superpowered beings have been taken out and it's only the regular guy left and he saves the day and you can't do it that if they're all regular guys so you don't yeah. even get to have your batman's cooler than everybody else moment if they're all as cool as batman um but also like i think each character each superhero because you mentioned before like the dc universe has metropolis it has gotham it has star city it has central city each superhero is a reflection of their city and each city is a reflection of their superhero. And it's done to best effect with Metropolis and Gotham. And I guess you could argue it's done with Themyscira and Wonder Woman, although she has lived in like mm -hmm. American cities at different times. Um, and I feel like there are flash comics and flash the TV show gets sometimes that really like brings that out with central city and Keystone. Like, they all sort of exist in their own little heightened pockets of reality, their own little fiefs, yeah. fiefdoms. And then you you combine them. So it's, yes, Batman does stand apart from the rest of the Justice League, but it's it's more like all of these extremely specific ideas coming together mm. um, as opposed to like six people who are the same and then there's Batman. Right. Um, the other thing I was going to say when you were talking about Gotham um, being really comic booky, um, the show that for me really did that, like obviously you're right, Spider-Verse does the best job of translating a comic book to screen, but Legends of Tomorrow. Mm, yeah. I found Legends of Tomorrow to be so, like I loved it so much because it embraced the giddy nonsense of comic books so like gleefully and without shame and was just like, yeah, this is nonsense. We are having so much fun. We're going to cowboy time. So we're going to go into our magic clothing room and put on our cowboy outfit so we can go collect the dinosaur that's here by accident. And I was like, yes, please continue to do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it, it in, in many ways that that show always felt to me, I, it took a little while for me to get that show. And the first I thought the first season was very rough. But once I got it, it felt a lot like someone had taken the magic that made Doctor Who so interesting 
of that, mm. like, we're just going to bounce around in space uh, and and time and then com- combine it with a superhero show and made something really fun. See, that's so funny to me because the very first episode, I remember going, oh, this is a comic book. Like, this is actually like the way that the team assembles, the pacing of it is exactly mm. the way it would be in a comic book. They could have been adapting it. They weren't. There's no analog to it, really. Yeah in the comics, but they literally, they could have been adapting a graphic novel page by page. And that like, it just, I was like, oh, the people in that room know comics and yeah, they are having a grand old time. And that may be part of why it left me because as I've said, I'm the dirty casual. I'm someone who loves these characters, <laughs> loves these stories. I don't really know comic books themselves. Um, there's so much more we can go into here and we'll probably bounce back to these larger topics, but let's start going through some of the individual things. And uh, you as the person who I think technically still has a uh, star – technically still has a Superman podcast, even though I think the last episode was three years ago. Uh, <laughs> so if you're watching the animated series, maybe make a, an episode for us sometime soon, please. Um, but let's start with the Superman movie that they've talked about. Uh, no more Henry Cavill, who I, I know you have both uh, – I, I know you've had kind of mixed feelings with him as Superman. Uh, what's your take on, first of all, the stuff that happened with Cavill and, and with this new idea of the kind of younger family origin story? Not, not an origin story, but kind of like talking about him and his roots story that they want to do with Superman. Well, I – first of all, I will say I – I really liked Cavill himself as Superman. I thought mm-hmm. he did a very good job with very bad material. Like, he was doing his best. It was not his fault. And he also just literally just looks like a drawing of Superman. Like, it's like a cartoon. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Um, I I don't blame him for the fact that I did not enjoy any of the movies that he was in as Superman. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I am conflicted about... His, his Superman, but not because of his acting. And, I, you know, we're never going to know all the ins and outs of what exactly happened, but it seems like he was treated very badly mm-hmm. by Warner Brothers, like basically encouraged to believe that he was coming back and to announce that he was coming back. And he like filmed that scene, the end credit scene for Black Adam, and it was a whole thing. And did he quit The Witcher because he thought he was getting Superman movie, Superman money? Or did he quit The Witcher because he hated being on The Witcher? We don't know. Um, but, I mean, they humiliated him. Yeah. Like, whether or not, yeah, he's a millionaire. He'll, he's fine. But, like, it was rude. <laughs> it was very rude. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I like, I kind of feel for him that he's never going to get a chance to show what he can do with a Superman who's written like Superman. Um, but, you know, maybe we'll get someone even better. Um, I I have dropped my Superman acting expectations after Tyler Hecklin, who I thought was ho- going to be horrible. Like, I was like, that he's all wrong. And he's wonderful as Superman in um, Supergirl and Superman and Lois. Like, mm-hmm. I think I think he really gets the character. Oh, is that the same actor? Job. I didn't realize that there's yeah. a, a shared continuity there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same sort of the same universe i don't really i stopped watching all the dcw shows so i don't know their multiverse, the extended but it's di- the extended arrowverse at this point right it's the same it's the same superman across the board and i think he's fantastic um so hopefully you know i think james gunn is very good at casting um hopefully we get someone good um i did like a lot of the stuff that they were saying about like superman being about kindness and and hope um 
And uh, here, okay, here's a quote from um, oh, the other guy, Peter Safran. Um, he is the embodiment of truth, justice, and the American way. He is kindness in a world that thinks of kindness as old fashioned. Um, which, yes, that, yeah, great job. Yeah. <laughs> like, please, thank you. I, Let's I, not have a movie where he has to learn that killing is bad by killing someone. And I believe that it was Peter who also said later, either in that same interview or a different one, that he was very specific that when he says the American way, he doesn't mean what that means to people today. And he doesn't even mean like what America actually was in the 50s. He kind of means the idealized image of America from the 1950s or around then, you know, which is yeah. you can get into all the politics, what that means. But he does no by no means does he mean rah, rah, America, you know, American nationalism or anything like that. Yeah. Um, so that's reassuring. I um, don't really care about Kryptonian stuff. Um, I, I, If I were in charge of a Superman movie, I would make it a workplace rom-com. I think mm -hmm. that's the fun stuff. Um, but we're getting that. There's going to be an animated um, show, My Adventures with Superman, I think is the title, coming pretty soon. Um, so I, I will have my needs met with that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they can do what they want with the movie. Um, yeah, I just I find the the emphasis on Krypton to be sort of missing the point and focusing on Clark's literal alienation as opposed to his humanity. Right. Um, but you know, it's it's so little information to have at this mm -hmm. point that I guess we'll see. Um, they uh, we do know that James Gunn is going to write it and possibly direct. They haven't decided. Um, which he's saying all the right things um, to me as a writer and a director. I actually find him quite cynical. Mm -hmm. um, I, to me, he's the guy who can never let an honest emotional moment sit. It has to be undercut with a joke immediately. And I'm, I, I'll be interested to see his take, but he's also not someone who I'm like, oh, God, please no. So right. we'll see. Well, and that may be just a fundamental difference between the two of us and why I'm a Batman person and you're a Superman person. Because to me, I find that the honest emotional moment that doesn't eventually have the joke just feels so saccharine and fake to me. Um, that that's why, to me, Gunn's expression of, uh, you know, emotion feels so so perfect. But I, I get that, and I think that'll be an interesting... Okay, Bruce Wayne. I mean, yeah, well, not the billionaire part. <laughs> um, but yes, yes, exactly. Uh, so, but that's a good segue to go to... Superman's, the, the I know, been your favorite. Segue into, even more so than Batman, my favorite part of the universe, who's also getting their own content. Because, yes, it is all inspirational, but I said, I'm a very cynical person. And I'm a person who, when you show me a whole bunch of inspirational, larger-than-life role model figures, I want to believe it, but a part of me is going to side with a person who's like, poke, 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 are you real? Should I have some kryptonite just waiting just in case you go bad? So let's talk about Amanda Waller getting her own show, because I feel like that that is the role she kind of has always played in that universe, is of the like, sure, you all say you're these great role models, but I'm going to have everything ready in case you go bad and maybe try to control you just in case anyway. Um, what's your take on, on Waller getting her own her own show? Well, I do want to say, you might actually, in this analogy, be Lois Lane. That's fair. Because Lois is the one who's like, this can't be real. 
wait, is this real? Yeah. So you you may fall in love with an alien. I'm just I you know warning as, you. It may happen. I the to this day, the first instance of pure romance that I ever saw was being four years old and watching Christopher Reeve take her take Margot Kitty flying on that horrible blue go. screen that looked so revolutionary at the time in that original movie. So who knows? I'm I'm ready to be taken to the top of the Empire State Building. Um but yeah, I think I mean, we've talked about um the I get I guess it's part of the DCEU. I feel like the the Suicide Squad EU is sort of its own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've talked about um, Viola Davis's version of Amanda Waller. We'll put it that yeah. way. Um, and I mean, she's tremendous in the role because she's tremendous in every role. There's a reason she has an EGOT now. <laughs> like she's amazing. Um, I I prefer Waller as someone who is. Ruthless in her pursuit of what she believes to be the right thing. Mm-hmm. And I find that modern takes on her and it's the the movies and TV as well as the, the comics do this too, tend to position her as more of a villain, mm-hmm. which I don't that's not my preference. Yeah. Um but it's all very well written and very well acted. So like, you know, with all these characters, like there's a range of how they can be portrayed and so while i would rather see her as like i said like this character who does the really hard things when the hard things need to be done and you often just want to shake her but she's doing what she thinks is right for her country and the world um i can't really fall like it's been successful and she's she does the character's great the acting is great the writing is great um so yeah, I mean, I think I think this should be a very good show. I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you. I I have enjoyed Viola Davis. I think she's awesome in the part. I, you know, no no shade against the younger, more conventionally attractive actresses who've played her in other things, like in the Arrowverse. But I really appreciate that that you know Viola Davis, who is absolutely gorgeous and magnetic. But still is an older, heavier woman than a lot of the people you often see as powerful women on screen. Uh, she has gravitas. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And um, – but yeah, to me, my favorite image of, of Amanda Waller is from that animated world we were talking about where mm-hmm. she is, I think – like that that Amanda Waller to me wouldn't just, you know – shoot 20 of her own people because it's going to help her get away and and keep her secret. But she's the one who, like I said, like she and Batman will see eye to eye when Superman goes rogue and all of a sudden they both have kryptonite that they just conveniently have been having with them for any purpose, you know? And like... There's so much kryptonite on Earth. (laughs) That planet was really far away. You know... Comets do what the comics would need the comic to do. But but yeah, I, I so I think you're right. It's not it's not I would love it if they leaned more into that, more her as antagonist to the Justice League types and anti-hero type, but where like you don't like what she's doing and you disagree with her, but you understand her point of view and and mm-hmm. maybe she's right in a way you don't want to accept. Like that to me is the ideal, and I wish they would get there. But whatever the hell they do, it's Amanda Waller as, as Viola Davis, and I'm going to be happy with that. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Especially because you're right. The and this is kind of I think one of the overall questions I have is like they're do I don't know what the hell the continuity is. And I know the whole point apparently was that the Flash movie was going to be the thing that 
gave us all the explanation of the continuity, but then the um, main star of that movie has completely self-destructed in a mental health crisis that I wish all the best for them, but I also understand that they should be facing some consequences for the people they've hurt. But also, like, what the hell do you do with that movie when that's the linchpin of everything in theory? I can't believe they're still releasing it. I just... Uh. I don't get it. But... But... So that being said, because you're right, I think if I... If I had a favorite overall piece of continuity in the DC that's been on screen in the last 20 years or so, my first choice would have been um, the Arrowverse and all that. But quickly coming up second, maybe even passing it, is now the Suicide Squad, Peacemaker, Birds of Prey, like, mini continuity. Because um, all that the sort of... Pulverse. Yeah, I think that, that's, that's a perfectly fair way to put it. Uh, you've seen Peace... I think we talked about Peacemaker, right? How it's so much better than... Have you not seen it? I haven't seen it. Okay. Eventually. I told you, I'm watching Superman the Animated Series. I have 20 years to catch up on. That's fair. That's fair. It is It is very different, and it is so much better than it has any right to be. Um, I've heard really good things. But that's another Wait, story. Have me on the show again in uh, 2043, and we can talk about it. We'll do it. it. We'll do it. Uh, anyway, so those are two things. We're not going to get to all ten in 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 uh, in the hour or so that I want this episode to be, but we'll just touch on them briefly. Uh, but it's my show, so I get to talk about my favorites. Let's keep going down that road. Uh, the Brave and the Bold, Batman, which you know my my frequent podcast partner Paul has been telling me about the Brave and the Bold for a long time. I, I think there was an animated show by that name. I think there's also a comic book run. Yes. Um. But, yeah. I can't help hearing it without thinking it's a Batman soap opera because it just sounds so much like, you know, the brave and the beautiful. God, but, I wish. Um, but so, yeah, what is the brave and the bold about and and what do you think about it coming to screen? So the brave and the bold was originally a comic book design. It was just it was a team up book. It was every issue. It's going to be two different heroes. It could be anybody. It could be Flash and Green Arrow. It could be Aquaman and Swamp Thing. It could be like whoever. Um, eventually, it became specifically a Batman team up book. So every issue was mm. Batman and Dead Man, Batman and the Phantom Stranger, whoever. Um they have since it was eventually canceled. DC has since revived it. Sometimes it's a Batman and whoever project. Sometimes it's just a team up book. Um, but it is sort of an iconic phrase in the DC universe. Like there is um, one of my favorite comics ever is Green Arrow Quiver when Oliver Queen Green Arrow comes back from the dead and he's running around being resurrected and Batman is like has to get involved. Um and they decide to go off on a mission together. Um, and Oliver says something along the lines of like, I could use some backup if you're feeling a little brave and bold. And it doesn't make <laughs> any sense that he would say that because they don't know the titles of their comics, but it's still very cute. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yes, there was in 2008, there was a Batman cartoon called Batman, the Brave and the Bold, which is very much sort of a throwback to 1940s, 50s aesthetic. It's very fun. Mm. Really, really cute. Highly recommended. Um, so, yeah, it is a generic term, but also strongly associated with Batman. Um, the movie is going to be a Batman and Robin movie, which we have not had since the 90s. I remember seeing that movie in theaters. It's terrible. I love it. Um, And the Robin that they're using is Damian Wayne, who is the current Robin. He's the fifth Robin in continuity. 
Um, he's Bruce Wayne's biological son. Um, his mother is Talia al Ghul, who is the daughter of Ra's al Ghul. He was raised um, by the League of Assassins until he was 10, which is when Bruce met him. Um, and I love him. He's one of my favorite characters. Like, he's mm -hmm. a horrible brat. <laughs> he has murdered many people, but he's trying to be better. Um, Bruce has absolutely no idea how to parent him. It's a disaster. Um, I, I just think this is going to be so much fun. Like, I, it's... I cannot wait to see this movie. I cannot wait to see James Gunn's take on these characters. Mm -hmm. I'm very excited for this. Yeah, that it, it does sound awesome. And I will say the, the TV show Titans has a lot of issues. The writing is incredibly <laughs> inconsistent. I think it, it veers back and forth between trying to be that larger than life comic book thing, but also trying to be very grounded in ways that just makes none of it work. But some, of, I think some of the best parts is that it explores in ways that I, my understanding is have explored in great depth on, on page, but not really very often on screen, you know, just what a dysfunctional family the Bat family is and how all that plays out. And in the show, that primary dynamic is between uh, Dick Grayson, who has left Batman. The show is kind of about him becoming Nightwing. But a big part of that is about him having all of these like very mixed feelings about Bruce and both very angry that Bruce made him into Robin and having a, a long desire to – a strong desire to reject that and to talk about how abusive that was to him as a child while also then watching um, – it's not Chuck Todd. It's um, – Jason. Jason Todd. Thank you. As the new like, hee hee, I love being Robin. I love be working with Batman. And he's both like, oh, God, I have to rescue this kid. And, oh, God, this kid's a total snot. I want to smack him. And, oh, God, did I really mean that little to Daddy that – did I really mean that little to Bruce that Bruce has replaced me so quick? And I wish it had gotten better dialogue because the moments when it is good, it is so heart-wrenching and, and shows you that even the kind of larger-than-life versions can – I mean, I'm someone who's had problems with my father and I could relate to an awful lot of it even though – not the same. And so, yeah, I, I, I'm excited to see that story. I've heard so much about Damien. I really do hope, though, that they commit to that larger Bat story because yes. I think him and Damien would be great. But getting to see the people who are within the family and the people who have left the family or are kind of on like different terms. And we've seen some version of this with all the Red Hood stuff where uh, is Jason Todd often who, uh, you know, kind of goes rogue and all that, that whole set of stories. But even leaving that out, I just think there's so much room to explore of, you know, Batman has raised this little army of kids to do what he wants. And what has that done to them? What has that done to him and, and all that together? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, like, the first thing that every comic book fan that I know said after this was announced was, okay, but are they going to have had the other Robins? Like, when Damien shows up, is he going to be Robin number one or is he going to be Robin number five? Um, and we, we don't know. We don't have any information on that. I To me, the character doesn't really make sense if he's Robin number one, but that doesn't mean they <laughs> they could cut out. They'll probably cut out Steph because they always want to cut out the girl. Mm -hmm. um, but so much of Bruce and Damien's relationship revolves around 
he's the biological son, but he's not the son that Bruce chose or seems to want. Like, literally, recently in the comics, Bruce said to him, Damien, you're my son, and I love you, but sometimes I don't like you very much. Mm -hmm. Damien's 14. (laughs) Like, who says that to a 14-year-old? And it, like, Damien quotes it back to him later because he's, yeah, like, what the hell? Um, And I... Obviously, like, if you find out that you have a 10-year-old son who was raised by assassins, it's going to be a fraught relationship no matter how many circus orphans you've adopted. Mm -hmm. But I just feel like knowing that there have been others and having their legacy to live up to is so... It adds so much to Damien's character because he feels like he has so much to prove. I'm sure. In the comics, is there someone else who is a Robin at the time that Damien comes along? Or is there... Yes. I can see that being a whole Tim. other thing of like, okay. It's Tim and Damien pretty much immediately tries to murder him. It's very funny. <laughs> and then, like, so it's Tim. Damien tries to murder him. Does not succeed. And then Bruce dies. It turns out he's not actually dead. He's lost in time. So Dick becomes Batman. And he's like, I don't know what to do with this 10-year-old kid. Um, I guess you're Robin now. And Tim's like, he tried to murder me. And Dick is like, sorry, bro. It's very good. I, I'm both excited for this movie and I have no no idea why this isn't a TV show. Um, it should be a... T- I mean, it, the, like you said... It's a soap opera. It should be a TV show that runs for 20 years and you have like seven different actors playing Alfred over the years because they all leave. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Well, and so that's that would be the last question I would tie in with. And then we can move on to some of the other things is I don't remember if you and I've talked about it. And it, uh, you may have been a guest on my podcast, in which case I completely apologize. Actually, Sophia, did you and I have you and I talked about the patents in Batman? Confession. You haven't seen it? Okay. Okay. I literally got an HBO Max login so that I could watch it. And then instead, I watched all of Batman the Animated Series. Fair. Okay. Well, I was going to do all that off air, but I'm going to leave this on air because it's kind of hilarious. I won't ask you about why the Pattinson isn't going to be that Batman. When you watch it, I'll be really curious your thoughts on it because I do think it, it, it has a lot of the dark gritty, but also a lot more of the hope that I think you're talking about. And I'll be very curious your thoughts on it. No. I really want to watch it. I do think that DC is afraid, like if they have a project that works, like the Batman and Joker, they're afraid to tie it into other stuff because that will break it. Yeah. And so they're like, well, just it's working. We just don't don't touch it. Um, And frankly, as the other thing, go ahead. Oh, the other thing I was going to say about Damien real quick. um, If you're not familiar with the character, I highly recommend the Super Sons animated movie that just came out. It's very it's. Damien and his best friend, who is John Kent, Superman's son, and it's delightful. It's a really, really good take on both characters. Interesting. Okay. I'll definitely check that out. And and just what we were saying before about that continuity and stuff, maybe that's the best way of understanding this is I think people are looking to Marvel as the model where there is the Marvel universe. And then there's little weird stuff that Sony does off to the side, but 99% of the Marvel stuff is all part of the MCU. And and I think a lot of people, myself included, are thinking, okay, what Gunn is going to do is bring everything DC, like wrap the big arms out, bring it all under the tent. 
and and maybe actually the way they're going to do is something a little more new, new uh, a little more open of there's going to continue to be the the Batman universe over there with Pattinson because that is awesome. There's going to continue to be the Peacemaker universe and the Suicide Squad, and maybe that's going to tie in, maybe that's not. There continue to be all this other stuff, and then there's going to be this particular version of a set of characters who all tie in together, and yeah, like. I, some of the, the recent podcasts I've been doing have been about a lot of the DC animated movies, which I think are phenomenal. Uh, not all of them, but like we just did uh, an episode on Long Halloween, which is one of my favorites. And none of those fit into a single unified canon, and they don't have to. Um, and so maybe that's the best well, way to understand what they're doing. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's important to remember that the MCU is a very relatively recent development. I mean, we've had superhero movies. We've had superheroes on screen since like 1940. We've had superhero movies, like big feature films since 1978. We haven't had crossovers, let alone a a shared universe, until 2012. So the idea that like the MCU is the way that you do that. And every, I mean, remember when um, Universal tried to do a Universal monster movie universe? Oh my God. <laughs> like, maybe we, we don't, like, look, I'm a DC Universe fan. I love the shared universe. That's why I read the comics. I love that these characters interact. But we don't have to do that. Like, Christopher Reeve did not hang out with Michael Keaton, and that was okay, actually. Yeah. And I also think that char- like Batman and Superman are very iconic in the way that like many people are fans of the characters without really consuming the comics, but even a lot of the movies and TV because you just you kind of know their deal anyway. So yeah. you can do these really easy standalones, and it's not like where you had to kind of explain to everybody who's Thor, like. You don't have to tell me who Wonder Woman is. It's in the name. I got yeah. it. Yeah. I think I think it's a really good point. So getting back to some of these projects, um, we want hope. We want inspiration. And especially we can find that, I think, on a place called Paradise Island, where we're far <laughs> from the rules of men. And so we don't have all the patriarchy and all the nonsense. But we do have Game of Thrones uh, internal politics, apparently. Uh, what's your take on Paradise Lost? Uh, boy. Uh, let's see. We've got two male executives, and they uh, the, the article that I the Variety article that I read announcing this compared it to a comic by two uh, male comic book creators. I um, don't want to see a bunch of cis men's take on uh, an all female utopia. And I think their whole, like, they, they've said, like, it's about, like, the dark secrets behind Themyscira. Um, I don't want that. And, the, like, I, uh, the degree to which that is missing the point, mm-hmm. like, Paradise Island comes from a very long history of um, concepts of, a, of an all-female utopia from feminist writing. It goes back... Right literally centuries and to be like ah here's the dark seedy underbelly like game of thrones no no there's it goes back to the stuff i was saying when we started recording 17 hours ago (laughs) like it's there's metaphor happening here it's not just like wow these these ladies are strong and they wear togas they are a metaphor there is a 
a deeper idea that is happening and to be like, actually, it's corrupt is offensive. Yeah. Yeah, it does seem to me that was the one that really stood out as really totally missing the point and not only just the kind of idea of DC that we're talking about, but of what that was all meant to be. Um, you know, like you said, this idea of kind of the the women utopia that goes back centuries. Bill Marston, who created Wonder Woman, he was very much a devotee of that. And I think we can, with today's eyes, look back and sort of have some like, you know, to some extent, it, there's a lot of kind of like his ideas of male submission, female dominance that that get tied into it. And there's sort of a little bit of like, how often are they having pillow fights in in his in his mind on this world? All the time. Yeah, but like, but still. It is so clearly supposed to be that kind of place of perfection. And so that's part of why the, the idea of why Diana would leave that is so interesting because it, it is yeah. a place of perfection, but you also say a place of like, you know, of, of not st- stuckness, but, you know, of like sameness in, in some regard. It's unchanging. Yeah. And, and to me, what they're doing with this represents what I think is worst about the whole dark, gritty idea, which is the idea that happiness is boring. That you that the only thing that's interesting is trouble, you know, and this is why you so rarely get just like a romantic couple who gets together and just stays together for a couple seasons or a couple movies because we always want to see the fight. We always and, and that's such romantic team. It's also teams, you know. We can't ever just see the Avengers be the Avengers. They have to break up and they get back together. And, and same thing with all these groups. And you know, is there a movie? Is there a show? Is there ten? Is there 10 episodes worth of content of everything on Themyscira being perfect and wonderful? Probably not. But does that mean you have to take – like I still think you could have lots of other stuff about, you know, you know, other – you know, some of, some others maybe following Diana's example and leaving and how does that affect things and there being, you know, shifts and changes but without this idea of – it seems that like – and here I'm probably contradicting myself because I know I've said for a while of like, I just have trouble believing that idea of Superman being this perfect, perfect being. But I think Themyscira is set to be part, – part of that for me is that I have so much trouble believing that a person raised on this earth in this world could not fall into some of the toxic masculinity or any other stuff that is just around us in this world. Themyscira is fundamentally supposed to be a place – separate from that. And it's not that I think men are the cause of all evil in the world by any means, um, but that I do think that to take this idea of Themyscira and just throw that – and instead of saying, so what would life – what would the conflicts be like when it's totally different from what we can understand, for it to be men kind of saying, no, 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 your world of women isn't – it it just feels – I I feel like I'm speaking over you now because I'm just kind of repeating it, but I, I, I share the upsetness of this is not a man's place to say, oh, actually, your female utopia has all the same problems we do. Oh, yeah. And I think that's it. I agree with you that it's taking something that is meant to be good and happy and making it seedy just for the sake of being seedy. But it's also taking something. Sometimes you're not the audience for something, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes it's taking a utopia that it is cis men taking a utopia that was not created for them and dismantling it. Mm. And that feels very much like uh, co-opting something that doesn't belong to them. Just as if, you know, I 
were as if I were to be like, I'm going to show how Black Panther is actually bad. Like, no. Wow. No. <laughs> like right. these, there are things that are meant to bring, like we said before, inspiration and or solace to groups that aren't you. Yeah. <laughs> and to like, I'm not telling anybody what they can or can, can't write. You can write whatever you want, but it, it just, it, just kind of seems like a jerk move to yeah. be like, I'm going to, I'm going to kick sand on that. I'm going to mess that up. That's, you don't get to have that. And I think the Black Panther example is actually really perfect because Ryan Coogler was very clear, the writer and director of that movie, that when he took that character, he wanted to play with the character a little bit and expose some of the concerns that he, that, that, that within a black community could be raised about that. And, and again, not to say that you, you have to be in that community to raise the concerns. But I think the fact that it was him telling that story, listening to other black voices telling that story, and then within that saying, what are the conflicts we can raise within that? Like, I think that could be – give me that kind of storytelling for Themyscira I think could be really interesting. Um, you know, uh, and, and, and I also want to caution myself, less to you but just to me – this is also like two paragraphs in a idea for something that's years in the making. So it's entirely possible, I think, that they at some point realize, oh wait, maybe Patty Jenkins, Patty Jennings, and some other people should like come in and 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 have some ideas, and we should shut up and just write the checks. I don't know what's going to actually happen. Yeah, I'm just saying yeah, that from I mean, the little we have to go on, there are some concerns. Right, and and like I mean, again, like the. What you're saying about Ryan Coogler, like, and that is his place to write that story. Right. I am not the person to write about the corruption of Wakanda because that would be messed up and racist of me. Like, yeah. that wouldn't be okay. Like, it's meant to be a black utopia or at least a, if not a utopia, then a place um, that has never been touched by colonialism or never been the victims of colonialism. Right. So if I was like, but actually they are the colonizers, like, wow, out of line. That is not the story for me to write. Um, so it's not to say that there can't be stories about corruption in Themyscira. And there have been stories about like dark secrets and flaws that actually there are a couple of different stories that mm -hmm. DC is publishing right now about that. They're written by women. Yeah. And the vibe is totally different. And you're right. Maybe this project will be written by women and directed by women and it won't be an issue. But honestly, if I you told me to pick out of these 10 projects with one I think is the least likely to be made, it would be this. I don't think this is ever going to be filmed. I would be shocked. This is going to have slight spoilers for an episode in I think season two, possibly season one of Harley Quinn. So skip ahead if you don't want to hear that. Sorry, Jess, you're a captive audience. That's but all right. There, I feel like all these saying has been perfectly done already because there was an episode of Harley Quinn where one of the characters is getting ready to go get married. And so they have a bachelor party, a bachelorette party on Themyscira. And Themyscira has been taken over by a girl boss who wants to touristize the whole thing. And so it's just making it this like tourist destination for bachelorette parties and girl boss trips and making Hercules dance for everybody and stuff like that. And it's OK, that's amazing. It's fantastic. and It's hilarious. And yeah, it's the kind of thing where you can see someone like being like, this is so perfect. Let's monetize it. Um, like a lot of things with the Harley Quinn show, 
they're all so far off the park, but yet so like there's such brilliant metaphor in it while it mm-hmm. being like gross out and horrible and hilarious. And that episode especially is just chef's kiss. Uh, all right, let, let's get to some of these others, especially some of the ones that I and so I assume by extension a lot of my fans uh, that you probably are more knowledgeable than, than I am. But no, it's my show. I get to claim it. Uh, probably don't know much about. Um, what's the authority? Um, so the authority, I actually um, am not super familiar with them. They mm-hmm. are a team. Um, they were originally published by um, – so DC had like separate imprints um, mm-hmm. that were not at all connected to the DCU. So the authority originally came out of – I want to say Wildstorm. Wildstorm, yep. Um, and it was a separate universe. Like n- not – and I don't mean a separate universe like – um, you know, Grant Gustin is the Flash over here and Ezra Miller is the Flash over there. I mean, like, it was unrelated in any way. Um, and they were very, like... It was the early 2000s. It was super, like, edgy and dark and everybody's wearing black leather and they kill people! Um, so it should do very well as a movie. <laughs> because that's <laughs> what... I mean, that's what Warner Brothers knows how to do. That's what they want to do. That's what a large part of the audience wants. Like, yeah. I think it's going to appeal to people who like Punisher and, you know, the the boys and all that stuff. And that's... I mean, the thing is, I don't care about the authority. So I... You're not going to break my heart if you make an authority movie that I don't enjoy because yeah. the way that it would break my heart to see a Supergirl movie that I don't enjoy because, like, I just think it's it's a smart move. It'll translate really well to what we tend to see on screen. Um, but the interesting thing about it is that the team actually has um, these characters, uh, Midnighter and Apollo, who are meant to be analogs for Batman and Superman. Like there's mm. the guy who's in black leather and he's really gritty and dark and growly and he's good at karate. And then there's the godlike being powered by sunlight and they are married. They're a couple. Oh, nice. Um, and th- so these characters have now, the Wildstorm doesn't exist anymore. These characters are just in the regular DC universe. So mm. sometimes you just see Midnighter and Batman next to each other. And it's like, what? Why are there two of you, but one doesn't have ears? Like, mm-hmm. it's it's very weird. Um, but I sort of love the idea of, like, here you go. Like, the darkest, grittiest, most violent movie. These guys are husbands. They're the main characters. Like, yeah. there's something very... I don't know. It's, it's unexpected. It's going to, I think, make... It's going to make a lot of people who would never see a movie with gay characters see a movie with gay characters. Yeah. Um, And hey, I said this when I wrote about um, all these projects for Book Riot, but DC can finally beat Marvel at something. Yeah. They can have main gay characters in a movie and not just one of the Russos being like, my husband died. It was sad. And Mm -hmm. them being like, we're groundbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. I I hear that. And I think in some ways... A, I do think like even if we're in a world where there are a lot of Superman type people, I still want someone who's a contrast. You know, one of my favorite Superman stories is Kingdom Come where he has to deal with this like he's kind of taking on more and more power and dealing with superheroes who are getting out of control and what do you do with all that? The other thing though is that, okay, so this is a kind of ragtag bunch of anti-hero sort of heroes who most of the general public knows very little about 
who are going to get introduced in this movie that'll be about them kind of being like the not great people, but who still do good things in the end. That's Guardians of the Galaxy, and that's the Suicide Squad. That like that is a recipe that we know that Gunn can do really well. So absolutely, and as well as the fact, that, like you said, it's I've always thought Marvel had it somewhat easier. That for most of us, I didn't care about Captain America. So if you gave me a bad Captain America movie, who cares? But when you gave me a good one, I didn't have thirty years of expectations to compare it to. Exactly. Um. So okay. So for the next one, uh, I want to see how well you are plugged into what other people are saying about these things. Uh, I'm going to read you a quote from a really good author who wrote an incredible piece about this, and tell me if you can guess which project they're talking about. And they wrote, "This is the movie I'd be most excited for if I had if I had any faith it would actually get written." Oh, that that uh, I think the name's um, Jennifer. Jennifer I, I, I am I am quoting Jessica to Jessica. Uh, I've been using uh, – she wrote a great article for Book Riot. The link will be in it. Uh, and that's how you started to describe Booster Gold. So yes. who is Booster Gold and why would you love to see his film and why do you not think it's going to happen? Booster Gold, my darling. Um, Booster Gold is the DC character that I relate to the most strongly. Um, he is – a college football player from the 20th, 25th century, just like me, um, who uh, gets kicked out for um, – he's a college football player. He gets kicked off the team for betting on his own games. So he steals a bunch of future tech and comes back to now to be a superhero and start his life over. He um, is – just an attention hound glory hog. He wants to be famous. He like in many DC comics will just show characters eating like booster cereal or brushing their teeth with like booster paste. Like Mm -hmm. he is branded from like to hell and back. He just loves attention and desperately needs validation. Um, And under that is a really good person trying to make up for his wrongs. Um, he, of course, uh, first showed up in the 80s because mm-hmm. loud and flashy, desperate for attention and willing to take endorsements. And like they, he was literally, you know how like Superman is the man of tomorrow and man of steel, whatever. He was the capitalist crusader. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so perfect for the 80s. Just completely ridiculous. Um, Please tell me he had like LexCorp written on the back of his cape or something like that. Like. He would have if he and Lex didn't absolutely hate each other. Like, okay. they they have bad blood right from the beginning. But he and Superman also don't like each other. Um, he's very obnoxious, and he just wants everybody to pay attention to him all the time. And I, I feel that very deeply. Um, so uh, he's also um, had a long-running friendship with um, Blue Beetle. Not the one who the movie is going to be about, but the guy before him. Um so, like, their relationship, they were very much like the Abbott and Costello of the DC universe for a long time. Um, he's a comedy character. Like, he has always been intended to be a funny character. Mm. Um, I think James Gunn, like, he's he's a perfect character for James Gunn. And James Gunn is a perfect writer for Booster because he has that, like, immature, self-involved, himbo who at the end of the day will do the right thing right that we see you know very much from like star lord like it's the same kind of Mm. vibe as a character um 
all that said, as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, um, DC first announced a Booster Gold TV show. Sci-Fi had ordered one in 2011. Um, and they have since they've said, oh, there's going to be a blue and gold, like Blue Beetle and Booster Gold movie. No, it's going to be a TV show. No, they're going to do this. They're going to... There have been so many projects announced with him, and it makes yeah. sense because he's a really fun character, and he's he's not someone who it's like, oh, he's the third Robin or the eighth Green Lantern, and he like he's not tied into other stuff. You can just have a Booster Gold movie. You don't yeah. have to have any other superheroes in it, and it still makes sense. Um, but I, I mean, in it some ways, hasn't happened yet. <laughs> in some ways, this may just not be possible in the current media age we live in. But it makes me really miss the days where unless you were really, really digging deep, you didn't know a new movie was coming until you saw the trailer for it for the first time. And like, yeah. I I hope this works out. If we get yet another version of trying a 10-year plan five years from now, <laughs> at that point, I hope they just say, we're going to make movies and TV shows and you'll know about them when we announce them. And just like stop all the pre-hype. Because you're right. Like I, I think what Gunn is trying to do is very ambitious. I think it's a plan that's given me the most hope for DC in a long time. But he has a 10-year plan and a four-year contract. So we'll see. Yeah. For the next one, given what I know about you and the stuff you love, um, you know, I, I know how much you, you often talk about the like, need for more women heroes. Totally agreed. Want to see more of that on screen. I know you love optimistic characters and characters that young girls especially can relate to and happy stories. So Stark, uh, so Supergirl. We're really excited for the Supergirl movie, right? Why are you bullying me? <laughs> because all I saw was that the first thing under the bad in your article is Supergirl. And I went, What? And I intentionally didn't read anything else just so I could be like, it's got to be really bad. Because you, you understand why I would think this would be one of the things you'd be most excited about. So what's happening? You'd think. What's the Game so, of thrones that's happening here? It's exactly what's happening here. Um, so the plan for the Supergirl movie um, is to base it on a comic that just came out over the past like year or two um, called Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow. Um, it is by, it was written by Tom King. It was drawn by Bill Quist Evely. I may be pronouncing her name wrong. Um, beautiful comic. Visually, it's stunning. Like the art is exquisite. Um, Tom King is actually going to be one of the sort of architects of the DCEU. Um, he's one of the people who's like going to be in the writer's room for a bunch of these projects. They are directly adapting his, this comic for this movie. Um, and he's going to be involved in a bunch of other stuff. Um, he has written a great number of DC comics, especially recently. Um, he wrote Batman for like a hundred issues. Um, I, I don't vibe with his work. Mm -hmm. Um, all <laughs> and I at uh, Supergirl is my favorite character. She is my favorite DC character. Um and I hated Woman of Tomorrow because I felt like it was a betrayal of everything about her and everything that she stands for. It's first of all it's not really about her. It's it's true grit in space, like literally that's what it is. Mm. Um there's this alien girl named Ruthie whose father is murdered and so she hires Supergirl to help her track down the murderer and get revenge. So the whole thing is from Ruthie's point of view. It's about Ruthie's character arc and Ruthie's growth. So like we're not getting a Supergirl movie, we're getting a Ruthie movie and Ruthie is fine, but like 
Supergirl's my favorite character. I'd like her movie to be about her. Um, the Supergirl in this is a miserable, drunken mess. Oh, God. Um, she's... When we first see her, she's drunk in a bar. She's cursing. She throws up. She has to be, like, really pushed into helping people because she doesn't want to. She's just... It's an incredibly bleak, nihilistic take on her, which, I mean, that's very much Tom King as a writer. Everything he writes is extremely nihilistic, um, which is not what I turn to superheroes for. Like, I want superheroes to, especially superheroes like Superman and Supergirl, to show the best that we can be and that we can overcome. And this story is not that. It also... um, has nothing to do with any Supergirl comic that's ever been published except her very first appearance. Like it never, it doesn't, it doesn't reference anything else. Literally like that first comic in 1959 is the only comic it references. And if like, you could believe that no other Supergirl comics ever existed. Right. Even though that comic, that origin story has been retconned out of existence Four times. It's not true anymore. That's what he's drawing on. So, like, there's an issue where he goes into the, um, how Kara survived the destruction of Krypton. And it's glossed over in a couple of panels in the 1959 version. But here it's like, and then all the people died of kryptonite poisoning. And you see Kara, like, walking down the street and there's just, like, dead bodies everywhere. She finds a dead baby at one point. Mm Mm-hmm. So this is a character who was designed for little girls. Like, that's not my opinion. That is historical fact. She was created to get little girls to read comics. That's who she is for. And her entire history has been ignored in favor of, let's put some dead babies in this story. Oh, Jesus. And, like, I just keep thinking of... um, when the the Supergirl TV show started, um, Melissa Benoist, who played Supergirl, did all these like little meet and greets and photo shoots and stuff with little girls. Like there's one, there's a there's a, a set of photos of her meeting like a Girl Scout troop. Yeah, and there's pictures of her meeting little girls who are in Supergirl costumes, and everybody looks so happy and so joyful. And I just keep thinking like, there are no superheroes for little girls besides. Supergirl and Ms. Marvel. Yeah. And like Wonder Woman, but she's an adult. Like there there are so few young female characters for little girls to look up to. And the other female characters that we have, we have Black Widow, we have Jessica Jones. They're wonderful characters. They're deeply traumatized characters who suffer horrible things. And now we're going to have an R-rated Supergirl movie that little girls can't see. And there's nothing to replace it because there are yeah. only two, there are only two, no, there are three female led projects in this roster and they're all incredibly dark. Yeah. And, and like you said, like you said, you know, you talked about like a character like Jessica Jones. To me, that that's part of why I don't want to see the story. I've seen it. I've seen that mm-hmm. drunk character. Jessica Jones is arguably her Daredevil and Luke Cage were all just, they're all fighting in my head for who's the best. Um, but her show is fantastic. Her character is fantastic. It's very dark. It's very gritty. I love that it exists. Um, but yeah, I, I can see Supergirl holding a very different role. Um, and it's really well, it's like that- you can't tell a Batman story with Superman. You can't tell a Jessica Jones story with Supergirl. 
they're not the same thing. And it just, it's like I was saying about um, the Themyscira show, not every story is for every audience. Like Paradise Island exists for female audiences and Supergirl exists for little girls and to turn it into a story that they can no longer access and that they can no longer take away from it what is meant to be taken away just feels it just feels greedy and mean to me. Like, yeah, grown men have so many superheroes. They have 97% of the superheroes. Like, leave one. It reminds me a lot. I don't know if you've seen this or if you remember the conflicts about it. But when they rebooted She-Ra in a way that mm-hmm. I think is one of the absolute best, uh, not superhero, it's more like fantasy superpower type things. But one of the best of that kind of show that I've ever seen. And they did make a very conscious choice of... The original was supposed to be kind of it, – it was the people who made He-Man thinking they were making something for young girls very much from what a young what, – what men thought young girls would want in an incredibly patronizing and sexist way. And there's a lot of good in that show to be sure and a lot of people love it not taking away from it. But the writers who are doing the new Shira really want it to be like, no, we want this to be for young girls, for young queer kids, mm-hmm. for – Everybody who feels like they don't fit in some way or another. And there was a huge pushback from grown men who were angry that her shirt, her skirt wasn't going to have, was going to have shorts under it, sort of like, you know, up, upskirt panty shots, whatever the hell they might want in a kid's show. Um, so yeah, I see a lot of that same kind of energy here. And, and again, maybe this is just being badly explained. We'll get something very different, but that one, especially even more than Paradise Lost, feels like they're, they're very clearly planting their flag in a place I can see why you're not happy about. It's funny that you mentioned the bike shorts because that happened to Supergirl in oh, the yeah. late 2000s. Um, they they gave her bike shorts and people like under her skirt and people got real mad about it because they weren't ever going to show Supergirl's panties anyway. But now you couldn't pretend that they might show you this drawing of a 16 year old's panties. Yeah. Which. Yeah. If you're mad about that, like, go outside. (laughs) Yeah. Put down the comic book and go outside. Except no, because I don't want the outside world to have to deal with you. But yes, I get your point. I get your point. (laughs) All right. Let's do bonus round. And and it's the three that you have listed under Bizarre. Um, So let me just start with one of my favorite characters we learned about from the Justice League Unlimited uh, TV show and all that is Jon Stewart Green Lantern. And I, like a lot of other people, have been frustrated that we mostly get uh, weird versions of Hal Jordan. Obviously, the less said about the Ryan Reynolds movie, the better. Um, (laughs) But I hear that we're going to get a uh, Green Lantern movie. And on the one hand, I'm like, yes, this sounds awesome. Granted, the attitude that I have towards universal space cops is a little bit differently than what I've had towards cops 20 years ago when I was seeing that show originally. But I'm curious why you have this list in the bizarre category. What do you think of it? Um, so I am not, I, it's not bizarre because it's a Green Lantern project. It makes total sense. Green Lantern is a huge franchise for the DC universe. There are tons of extremely popular characters in it. Um, it makes sense that it would be James Gunn. He did a great outer space franchise. Like I would love to see, I mean, I, I would love to see a Green Lantern project that is similar to Guardians of the Galaxy. I think that could be really fun. Mm -hmm. Um, Although confusing because the Green Lanterns are given their rings by the Guardians of the Universe. Um, (laughs) Who predate the Guardians of the Galaxy. I just want to say most 
DC stuff is older than Marvel stuff. It just Marvel does it mm-hmm. more popularly. <laughs> um, but the reason I haven't, and I also think, so they've uh, basically said it's going to be a buddy cop movie about, um, or TV show rather, um, about Hal Jordan and Jon Stewart. And I think that makes a lot of sense because one of the issues with Green Lantern projects is deciding who the main character is going to be because Hal Jordan has been around since 1959. He's the one that a lot of people think is like the classic iconic, a lot of comic book fans think is Mm -hmm. the classic iconic Green Lantern and Jeff Johns. He's Jeff Johns's favorite character. Um, And that's why the first movie that Jeff Johns really had a lot of power over was the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern movie. And <laughs> we all saw how that went. Um, whereas Jon Stewart is the one who people are most familiar with because of the Justice League cartoon. Um, and he's fantastic there. And he's by far the most popular character um, to people who like outside of comic book audiences. Um, and then there's also Kyle Rayner. In the 90s, Hal went evil and died and was replaced by a young, like, hip, like, 90s radical Green Lantern, Kyle Rayner. Um, and that was extremely controversial. And the, there was war between the Hal fans and the Kyle fans. Mm-hmm. So it's always a question of, do you make the story about Hal? Do you make it about John? Do you make it about Kyle? Do you make it about my favorite, Guy Gardner? You shouldn't. He's a supporting character, but so making it about Howling John makes a lot of sense. What I don't understand is why they were like, it's going to be like true detective. (laughs) What? (laughs) What? What? This is how Jordan is a test pilot. John Stewart is an architect. They are not Mm -hmm. detectives. (laughs) The one one reason I can think about it, think, think of for it is, and granted, again, I haven't read the comic books. But my experience of the TV show versions of that, and then the few times that Green Lantern has been done live action, most specifically in the Titans, there's a Green Lantern who shows up. Oh, which one? Uh, it's a young young girl, young woman of color. Is it Jessica or Kelly? I, don't, I couldn't remember. I'm going to have to Google this. Sorry, you can cut this out. No, it's fine. It's an interesting question. Um, one more reason for you to watch the show. But... um. But the point is that every time I've seen the like the idea of it of summoning whatever you want or need in that moment with your mind sounds really cool. The visual of creating a big hammer or an airplane or some other weapon out of green light that comes from your ring. Maybe this is just me. It looks really cheesy <laughs> and like to me, the true detective thing sounds interesting. A, because I love detective stories. And frankly, if you're going to tell a detective story, I would rather it be Batman being the detective. And one more reason why I love the Robert Pattinson. But hey, more detectives, more more goodness. But also, if maybe it's much more about that, and so it's a lot less about summoning big hammers with green rings, I think that's going to play better on screen. I just I – ha- I haven't seen the comic books. It may look amazing there. I have real trouble imagining it carrying a show with that kind of power set on screen. Yeah, I mean, I don't think, like, the budget alone. I I also, like, I think as a nerd culture, we are increasingly getting away from let's have everything be CGI all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I don't want is for two miserable actors to be in a box 
in mocap suits yeah. filming 12 episodes where they never leave the box and they never get to interact with a physical prop ever. Um, and Green Lantern is more prone to that than anything yeah. else because, you know, of the constructs, like you were saying, I, I fully love the, I'm going to hit you with a big green hammer. Um, just again, because the same reason that I love Superman, it's all larger than life. It's all silly. Mm-hmm. It's all cartoony. It's all hyper, this hyper, uh, real, not realism, but this heightened reality. Um, it, Probably is something that plays better in comic books and animation than live action. Um, all that said, I mean, like you said, the whole cop thing is iffy. And I feel like steering into the, de- the detective angle makes it more that mm-hmm. way. Because the thing is, Green Lanterns don't have to be cops. That is a way to interpret them. They can also be like space social workers, they can be whatever you want. And I think really like pointing it in the detective direction. I I mean, I don't know. Like that's the thing. The reason I put this in, in the bonkers section is I just, I can't visualize it. It's so different from any green lantern story we've ever seen. And green lantern, like Superman is not a franchise that I think does going realistic with it i don't think mm-hmm. is gonna help because they're yeah. still gonna have rings that can make big green hammers so like <laughs> i mean we didn't go realistic with the talking raccoon and his tree friend so yeah. like i don't but i also put it in bonkers because like look and i'm gonna get letters about this one how jordan's real dumb <laughs> so i don't know how they're making him a detective because the man i have seen that man get knocked out by a paper plane mm-hmm I have seen that man lose a fight to a seagull. Like, <laughs> I, this oh, wow. is canon. He's, he, he has given himself so many concussions. It's not bad guys. He just falls down and hits his head because his okay. ring is all powerful. So that's the only way you can stop him. I mean, you know, Keystone Cops are still ACAB, but are a lot more fun to watch than other things. <laughs> so who knows? That uh, I would watch. I, if nothing else, I just want Jon Stewart because... This is a pretty white yes. lineup, all all told. So that that's another yes. reason for a nice to see a person of color in here. Well, we don't know that. They could cast anyone. That's true. That's certainly very true. Those char- yeah, and that, that's actually a good point. I'm assuming based on who those characters have traditionally been. Um, if nothing else, you know, if if we are honoring the actual background, Damien should be, um, you know, someone who looks like uh, they have a whatever Bruce Wayne heritage is, but also an Arab parent of some kind. Um, yes, but the Al Ghouls have never been played by anybody but white people in uh, live action. So, well, Nissa, I think. Yeah. On the Arrowverse. But Roz has always been a white actor. No, wasn't Roz played by um, the actor who will forever be Dr. Bashir to me? But he's, a, I believe he's Pakistani. He's definitely South Asian. Um, I'm going to look up his name. In the Arrowverse? In some on-screen thing, Alexander Siddick wasn't. Hasn't he played Ra's al Ghul at some point? Maybe. Uh, let me look up. He's Sudanese, by the way. Uh, and 
Oh, in Gotham. I haven't seen Gotham. Oh, Gotham. Yeah. Okay. So there yeah. we go. All right. My bad. I take it back. There we go. There we go. But still, yeah. But yeah. But I Liam Neeson. But having a at least having one character who we know is canonically black, I think is is a good thing. Yes. Um. So. You talked about Universal's failure to pull off a monster franchise. So is that what Creature Commandos is going to be? I have no idea what Creature Commandos is going to be. So in the comics, Creature Commandos is um, all these Universal monster characters. There, There's a Frankenstein and a werewolf and a vampire and um, Gorgon. Um, and usually like a Bride of Frankenstein character too, Um who I think usually has like six arms. It's weird. Okay. And then they're they're in the army or they're in the military. It might not be the army. Um, but yeah, they fight Nazis. Um, and then obviously in modern day stuff, they fight, well, probably still Nazis because it's comics, but also yeah. other bad guys. Um, I've never read any of their actual comics, but I've read stuff where they like just show up and everybody's like, oh, Frankenstein's here. It's usually, he's like the main one. You usually see Frankenstein okay. and other stuff. Um He's actually, I, I know we haven't gotten to him yet, but he and Swamp Thing hang out sometimes. They're bros. Okay. Um, I, I'll say I'm a little more excited for Guillermo de Toro's take on Frankenstein, but we'll see what uh, James Gunn can do with it. So Yeah, and I, I get the feeling, I suspect it's going to be like, uh, it's going to be a cartoon, uh, an animated show. I suspect it's going to be like more in the Harley Quinn vein for adults. Yeah. Um, but honestly, I feel like it could go either way and still work. Like you could have like a very um, wink, wink adult show about these characters. Or you could have a really like just fun yeah. kids show that's just like weird, like bat wheels. And they, why not both? Like I, I, either way, I think it could be really fun and they're not characters I care about. So if it's bad, I don't care. Go. And and so let's uh, round up the group with Swamp Thing. Who is Swamp Thing and why do we care? Um, he's a guy who died and became a thing that is a swamp, except he's not really the... Okay. Well, spoilers. He's not really that guy anymore. But yeah, basically he is an element... He's a plant elemental um, who's connected to like all... It's called the green, but like all of plant life um, on Earth. Um, it's also what like Poison Ivy draws on, etc. Um, he tends to be, I haven't read a lot of Swamp Thing comics. Again, he's a character who I've read when he shows up in other stuff. Um, he tends to be in like very, um, more sort of artsy, highbrow, thoughtful comics. Like his 80s stuff by Alan Moore was really groundbreaking, um, and really changed like what people understood comics could do and be. Mm. Um, does he hang so, out with Poison Ivy a lot, or is he, are they seen as like just so fundamentally different worlds that? They're yeah, I mean they've interacted, but it really is sort of different worlds because he she is very much like I'm gonna rob the plant bank in Gotham with these plants. Like it's you know she she is much more on that down to earth level, and he is very. Uh, elemental, like right. I said, um, although. Jason Woodrue, the Floronic Man, um, who in... <laughs> oh, wow. Does he arrange you to death? Um, actually, you've seen you've seen Batman and Robin, right? Yes. You've seen him in a movie. He's the guy who gives Ivy her power, who kills her and she gets her powers. Okay. Yep. 
I sure so, have. and in many continuities, he is like her mentor, or professor, or boss who has an inappropriate relationship with her of some kind, and mm-hmm. then gives her her powers. He also has plant powers, and he sort of exists in the middle of that spectrum. So he's like okay. connective tissue. Anyway, um, it should be interesting. Like, I feel like whatever they do will be interesting. If they do anything, because as I said in the article, uh, they had there was a Swamp Thing show in 2019 and they canceled it two months after it premiered, like almost immediately. Like, I want to say I was on. I found out about this, like on a panel at Wiscon about superheroes. It was like breaking news. Swamp Thing is canceled. Yes, that sounds right to me. I mean, <laughs> will this happen? I don't know. It feels like it's a very expensive project to me because, again, well, no, CGI is the cheaper route. I feel like this would be a really cool project with um, practical effects, like really yeah. good practical effects, but they will never do that. Yeah. I was say, it's a really expensive project to do well. I think it could be done yeah. very cheaply and very badly. <laughs> um, yes. CW Absolutely. Stargirl is a good example of what happens when you try to do universal type powers on a budget uh, oh bless all, their hearts all this reminds me also that i would love to get a a new uh live action poison ivy because the poison ivy and harley quinn is phenomenal and of course all the stuff about harley and poison's relationship is phenomenal the the only two on-screen versions that i really know about that i have mixed feelings about one is uma thurman which is just femme fatale of femme fatalness and all all that can be said about that and then there's the It's limited, but she's having so much fun that I'm like I can't I'm like yeah. okay, Uma, I'm with you. When you understand that all of those movies are not uh Schomburg not Schneider, Schomburg Um Um Schumacher. Schumacher, thank you. When you understand that is Schumacher, a gay man doing a gay camp version of like she is perfect for camp. Like love the gorilla that. suit. So good. But the other version that I've seen, which started out so good and then took such a turn, was in Gotham, you had this young child named Selena Kyle, who was like a 12-year-old who broke into things to survive, and another street kid she hung out with was this weirdo kid named Ivy with big fuzzy red hair and thick glasses who was always playing with her plants. And that character was phenomenal. And then somewhere in, I think, season two or season three... She does some plant thing and through the magic of planty plantness gets turned into a long, sleek haired, long legged supermodel of about 19 or 20 who cares about plants and has plant bikinis. Um, and it just. Isn't it a totally different actress? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it was a 12 year old actress and then a 20 year old actress. And of course, plants, her red hair. Man, what can't they do? Her red hair is now long and straight and sleek and shiny because curly, fuzzy hair can't be sexy. There's no racism or anti-Semitism in that idea, putting that aside. But yeah, it was so – because the character was – the actress who played her was so good as this like – Selena was this character who had made this like conscious choice that she had to be okay doing what she had to to survive, even if sometimes it was immoral. And it was played off against Ivy, who's like, morals? What are those? Not in a, like, I'm evil and terrible, but just, like, she was one of the most amoral, but not immoral characters I'd ever seen on screen. And it was so well done. She, like, a lot of, um, 
uh, in, not in Planta. There's a character like that in Shira whose name is escaping me now. Um, but yeah. Oh, um, I, it's not Perfuma. She's the one with the plants. Um, Entrapta. Entra- okay, I think it's Entrapta, but that sounded right. Yeah, Entrapta, exactly. That kind of like, the science is so cool, I don't really care who's being hit with the machines that I'm building. That was what Ivy was like with plants. And just when they lost Oh, that's that. a good take on Ivy. So anyway... Well, all this is awesome, and uh, like I said, I've been reading along in your article about this, which is a great opportunity for me to to have you tell people's wrap-up. Where can people find that article? Where can people find the other stuff you're doing? Um, So that article is on bookriot.com, where I am a contributing editor, writing mostly about comics and comic-related things. Um, I am on Twitter um, as it, you know, goes through its death throes uh, at, at... Jess underscore plumber. And as Matthew mentioned, I do have a Superman podcast called Flights and Tights, although uh, it has not been updated in quite some time, but it is still up. Um, so you can have a listen to that. Yeah. And we're going to have a little bit more with Jessica running down some of her favorite and least favorite Superman on screens in the bonus content for Patreons. Uh, so if you're if you are a patron, stick around for that. If you're not, think about doing so. You can go to patreon.com, the ethical panda. Or just uh, find it in the show notes or on our website. It's a great way to support the podcasts, help us keep the lights running, uh, all that kind of good stuff, uh, as well as you get some great stuff. You get access to all this bonus content. Uh, at higher levels, you can get free merch. You can get ways to uh, help us design episodes, things like that. If you don't want to do that, you still want to help support what we're doing, share an episode. You know, Post about it on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or uh, you know whatever social media you use. Tell people about it. Start a conversation with someone and uh, suggest they give it a listen to. Anything you can do to help more people listen, help spread the word about the stuff we're trying to do here, conversations we're having, is so helpful. And of course, the reason for all that is because we love feedback. The feedback really helps keep the conversations going. Uh, we're getting ready to do another feedback episode pretty soon. Um, if you have thoughts, if you are have you know you agree with some of the stuff we said about the upcoming slate you have totally different ideas want to offer a different perspective let us know if you go to theethicalpanda.com you'll find all the contact information you can also find it in the show notes of this but also if you just go to your favorite social favorite social media and google the ethical panda it may not be the first link it'll often be the first link that comes up but you'll definitely eventually find it so please check out all those things please check out all the great ways to give us feedback positive or negative just let us know what you think Join the conversation, think about supporting us on Patreon, and most importantly, have a great day.